0: This is The Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Live from the auction community studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jesse Morrison. Dancing behind the glass. I like that energy to start this show because the Suns are currently losing to the Knicks, although it's only a four-point deficit right now in the third quarter. It was a lot worse earlier. We'll get into that uh, shortly. But first, uh, Jesse, how was your weekend? You have a good weekend? Yeah, I discovered that uh, downtown has good uh, breweries. Oh, well, okay. That's that's actually a very successful weekend then. Um, it was... <laughs> Not quite as successful as the Diamondbacks weekend as they, well, specifically yesterday, as they went through and beat the Braves twice and uh, gave up a combined one hit over the two games. So there's a lot now to talk about with this baseball team because we are through that stretch of 22 games to begin the season where a lot of people, myself included, looked and said if they can survive that Okay, maybe this gets interesting. 22 games, 17 of them on the road, starting off with the Padres. If you look at where we were with this D-backs team just a few weeks ago, and I talked about this last week, but it's gotten even better. A few weeks ago, you're looking, you're like, okay, Zach Gallon's hurt. They're 0-3 against the Padres. If you go back to that Saturday night, April 3rd, so what is that? It's barely barely over three weeks ago. You're 0-3, Gallon's hurt. You don't look like you belong in the same field with the Padres. Bumgarner had a horrible first start. Then you start to kind of you know, pick up a couple wins. Taylor Widener looks good in his first start. You get one against Colorado, so you're 2-3. and three, But then you end up with Bumgarner looking terrible again in Coors Field. And then Bumgarner looking terrible again against the A's on April 12th. So his first three starts this season, not good. And I've referenced this before. I mean, I talked uh, to quite a few people leading up to the season as far as who might be in line for a good bounce back season. And there's a lot of guys in the D backs that they needed to bounce back, but one of the names that kept coming up was hey, Madison Bumgarner. You look at the fact that he's a veteran pitcher. His off season, his spring training last year were disrupted, and then all of a sudden you're just you're starting the season basically. You had like those two exhibition games against the Dodgers and then the season starts. So you got a guy that has had an outstanding career but all with one team. All of a sudden, he switches teams, his routine is thrown off, and he comes in, makes nine starts. The first few were awful. The last few were okay. So there was at least a chance, like, okay, Bumgarner, he could easily, maybe not easily, but he certainly could bounce back this year. And I even remember talking about this uh, going into the A's start. Okay, I'll write off the Padres because that lineup is loaded. All right, I'll write off the Rockies game because you're in course Field. Once he got lit up by the A's, that's when I was like, I don't know if this is going to work this year. That's that's where I was finally like, okay, I, I maybe I was a little too optimistic. And since then, he's been excellent. Five innings, one earned run against Washington uh, last Sunday. And maybe the key is just letting him pitch on Sundays. Because then uh, this Sunday against Atlanta, yesterday, seven inning no hitter, except it's not a no hitter. It's called like a notable accomplishment. It's It's like it's notable achievement, I believe, is the term that's being used. He threw a no hitter. Like I don't know what else. <laughs> I, I understand. I, I get. I get the argument of, well, obviously the last two innings are the hardest two innings to to throw a no hitter, right? I mean, there's been plenty of guys through history that have gone seven innings. Madison Bumgarner has gone seven innings three times in the past and without allowing a hit and didn't have a no hitter. So I understand. There's this is not. It's not easy. You're looking and you're saying, well, those last two innings. I can't guarantee you he would have got those those six outs. Fine. But you can't guarantee me he wouldn't have got the six outs either. Like, we got to kind of go down the middle here. He was dominant for seven innings. It's a seven-inning game. So it's a no-hitter. You get those games that, like, okay, the game gets rained out. It went six innings. Oh, yeah, who started? Oh, you know, so-and-so started through six innings. And, they, yeah, 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 okay, he gets a complete game for that, for six innings, in a game that was supposed to be nine innings. Okay, so then how... How are you going to differentiate this? I get that baseball loves their stats. I mean, look, I love baseball stats. And I get that a no-hitter is one of the most sacred things you can do. But you can't just write this off and be like, oh, yeah, he threw a complete game, didn't give up any hits, and we'll just forget about it. you got to have somewhere. If you're going to have seven inning games, if you are going to legislate seven inning games into the schedule, then there needs to be some sort of Hey, yeah, Madison Bumgarner threw a no-hitter, but there's an asterisk next to it. Something, right? You can't just forget it happened. They should do what UCF did and claim the (laughs) no-hitter. I don't want to go that far. I don't want everybody to hate us. But you can't, like, say a game goes 15 innings and a guy hits for the cycle. He gets credit for hitting for the cycle. It doesn't matter how long the game was. Again, I'm not saying this is on, on the same level of, of a guy going nine innings and throwing a perfect game. That's fine. But you can't just forget that this game happened. Like, we're not going to forget here because it was on the heels of Zach Gallen pitching a one-hitter the, earlier that day. But there's got to be some subsection of the baseball record books. You You're already destroying them by having extra innings start with a guy on second base. You're destroying all these relief pitchers, ERAs. You're giving all these guys that are just starting on second base additional stats. I understand the concept of I don't want to all of a sudden have a bunch of no-hitters that wouldn't have happened if I'm Major League Baseball. Fine. Then don't have seven inning games. This is not last year. Your schedule's not super condensed. Just have nine inning games. Or if you're going to do that, then have a section of no-hitters, which by the way, there's only one but I'm sure there'll be more. Have a section that just says no hitter with an asterisk that says seven inning from that seven inning era where Rob Manfred just decided to implement shorter games, but not give pitchers credit for throwing no hitters in them.
0: All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The rundown rapid reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories.
1: Well, we'll start in New York. The sun's wrapping up this five game road trip. Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. It's 81-79 New York right now. At one point in this game, first quarter, it was 30-15 to New York. That, uh, <laughs> that got quite the reaction in the newsroom as we were preparing for the show. Devin Booker had 20 points in the first half. He's got 28 right now. 3.45 left in the third. So the Suns have come battling back. They're within two right now, 81-79. But um, you got to win this one. You know, you look at the, uh, the, the loss yesterday to Brooklyn. Fine. You know, I. I it's, do you want to be able to beat the Nets? Yes, absolutely. But you're probably not quite on their level yet. You've seen the Nets twice. One time they didn't have Kyrie or Harden, or uh, rather uh, Durant, and you blew a 24 point lead and they beat you. Yesterday they didn't have Harden, but they had Kyrie and Durant, and they looked like, honestly, yesterday. And then when they have even two of these big three, they look like they're probably the favorites to win the the title. I'd still, I'd still take the Lakers if I had to. But also, I haven't seen Harden, Kyrie, and Durant really play together because they've only done it a few times this season. So there's no shame in losing that game yesterday. If you're looking for a positive, you can say, okay, Torrey Craig is, I mean, that that was such an under-the-radar move when it happened. It was treated like he was sort of a throw-in and a bigger deal involving other teams. He's looking like a guy that's going to make some plays for them in the playoffs. The bigger silver lining is Devin Booker, Dropping 36 yesterday, and it seems like he's finding his game. Not that he was bad, but it seems like he's starting to look more and more like Devin Booker again, and this is a good time for that since the playoffs start in less than a month. You lose two in a row with the loss to Brooklyn. Okay, I mean, that was going to happen at some point. You'd love if it didn't because that means you're probably going pretty far in the playoffs. Uh, Any series you win game one, you're guaranteed to win. First time they've lost two in a row since January 27th. Okay, like, fine. It's it's not what you want, but whatever. But you can't lose to the Knicks tonight. You don't want to go into this stretch against the Clippers in Utah later this week on a three-game losing streak. And we'll, we'll get into uh, the importance of those games here in just a little bit. Uh, the draft, of course, NFL draft, is on Thursday. We still don't know about Larry Fitzgerald, which, I mean, this is well past when anybody thought that we would be uh, waiting for a resolution to that and I don't know that he necessarily has to say anything before the draft now I know there's a school of thought like oh okay but he'll you know I'm sure he'll explain what he's going to do before the draft honestly I think the Cardinals know and Fitz will make his final decision at some point I I can't see him at this point rushing it in before Thursday maybe I mean every other time this offseason I was like oh yeah he'll do it next week it hasn't happened uh, but uh, the draft, we'll, we'll get into Peter King's mock draft here shortly. He does one. Like I like Mel Kuyper and I like Todd McShay and, and I. I mean, maybe it's partially this job. It's just the fact that I love football. I will. I'll go through all of their mock drafts. But they put out like four or five, six by the end of all this. Peter King waits to the week of the draft and puts out one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show that some respect and put a little more weight on that. Uh, and Marcus Gilbert. Announcing his retirement today. Never actually got to play for the Cardinals, but uh but he wraps up his NFL career today. So the uh Cardinals get to send him off, and we are gonna go into the break here coming back. I'm trying to see what the Suns I I, I understand the Knicks are good. I just haven't fully wrapped my head around that yet. But you figure Al McCoy's birthday. You figure the Suns are going to find a way to come back and beat the Knicks. We'll get into that next. We'll get into the importance of this week. Not just tonight, but these two games coming up could really decide the Suns' path through the playoffs. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
0: It's the Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. Luke, I am your father. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: All right, the Suns just took the lead and then gave it back. It's 85-84, Knicks, under a minute to go in the third quarter. So, of course, we'll keep you up to date on that one throughout the evening. And this is on the heels of the Suns losing to Brooklyn yesterday. They at least didn't look nearly as tired yesterday. and They just took the lead, 87-85. Um, they didn't look nearly as tired yesterday, but the Nets just look really good. And I've been watching the Nets more lately because I've I've definitely been part of that, uh, just that mindset of the Lakers as the team to beat if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, and it probably still are. But, you know, the Nets are, are an exciting team. They're over there in the Eastern Conference, and when we saw them play the Suns earlier, it, that felt like a game the Suns should have won. And they just had James Harden, but it just it felt like a game the Suns should have won, and obviously the Nets came back. Yesterday, it was like, okay, the Nets are, are pretty good, and they've been looking pretty good lately, Even even those games... Uh, before yesterday when Durant wasn't playing, they get some of these guys coming off the bench like uh, Landry Schmidt and Bruce Brown stepping in and, and making plays. Like that's, that's a deep team. So it's hard for me to look at that and be like, okay, well, the Suns have problems because they couldn't beat Brooklyn in game four of a five-game road trip. I'm guessing most teams aren't going to beat Brooklyn. I haven't seen a team from the East that's going to beat Brooklyn, especially if Brooklyn's healthy, unless Brooklyn implodes. And I do think at some point they will with those three personalities but I don't know that's going to be this year. So for the Suns now, you go forward and you're looking and you know we we had the discussion last week how much are you willing to run these guys big minutes all every game the rest of the way because again, Ayton, Bridges, Booker, Paul, they've missed a combined five games this season. None of these other contending teams have had all their main guys play that many games. The Suns are going to be. This will be 61 games by the end of uh, by the end of tonight. So what is that? Uh, 244 games between those four, and they've missed five. Like that's, it's a little risky going into the uh, into the playoffs. But now here's the other issue you have is that the Clippers are technically tied with the Suns for second in the Western Conference. Utah's two games up. Denver, even though they've lost Jamal Murray, and I don't think they have enough to win the title now without Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. is pretty good. Everybody they bring off the bench seems to be pretty good, and obviously Jokic is going to win MVP. This is the issue. Right now, the Suns are second. If they lose tonight, they're going to drop to third. The Lakers are only a game and a half up on Dallas for sixth. As I've said before, I just want nothing to do with the Lakers in the first round. I thought about it like, okay, maybe, maybe if you want to get really optimistic here, maybe the first round is the best round to catch the Lakers because you figure LeBron's just just working his way back from injury. Maybe they have a couple games where they're just trying to figure it all out and and those are playoff games and you can jump on them. I don't have a problem with the Suns playing the Lakers. I don't want to play the Lakers in the first round. Just simply because right now the Suns have a 700 winning percentage. It doesn't feel right that you're going to have to go through the Lakers in round 1 and what the Clippers in round 2 and then the Jazz in round 3 and Donovan Mitchell's like that that doesn't no <laughs> you don't win at a 70% clip all season and have to go through the Lakers and then the Clippers and then the Jazz or the Nuggets or whoever like that's that's no that's that's not the way it's supposed to be so there is a lot of value to at least staying ahead of the Clippers, or if the Jazz start to trail off, they really haven't. Even though Donovan Mitchell's been hurt, stay ahead of one of them. Don't drop to third. My thought all along is that the Lakers aren't going to drop below sixth because if they are in danger of dropping into that play-in tournament, LeBron's just going to he'll just show up and play and and make sure they don't have to play extra playoff games. But they could easily drop to sixth because Dallas is playing really good. The Mavericks have won three in a row. They're only a game and a half behind the Lakers. Lakers are kind of all over the place. Yeah, they've got Anthony Davis. He's a top five player when he's healthy. But, I mean, how good was New Orleans ever when they had Anthony Davis? He can't do it by himself. So it's entirely possible the Lakers finish sixth in the West, and that means it's very important to not finish third. And also, I'll take it one step further, if you can stay top two, wouldn't it be great if the Clippers and Lakers had to play each other in the first round? Just get each other out of the way. One of them gone in the first round. And probably the one that advances pretty beat up by the, uh, by the second round. So these games are big, and they're particularly big this week because if you're the Suns, you've got, uh, you've got the Clippers and the Jazz coming up. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's this is about as big as it gets this week. You, gotta, you have to find a way to beat the Knicks, and right now it's 89-87 New York. But beyond that, your two games this week when you come home, you're not resting anybody for these ones obviously. Clippers on Wednesday, Jazz on Friday. How about Friday? Suns Jazz, the D-backs are playing the Rockies, the Coyotes are playing Vegas and it's round 2 of the NFL draft. That's that's a busy uh, that's a busy sports night right there in the Valley. Um, Devin Booker I mean, national televised game yesterday, so obviously the the Suns getting a little more national attention. And they asked him afterwards, "Where does this year rank among his time in the NBA?"
0: It's at the top. I mean, obviously we still have a lot, a lot of work to do um, to prepare for later in the season, but the unique season of. Not being able to really leave our hotels and dealing with all the COVID protocols to have as much happiness and fun that we've had so far through the season is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and and Booker's been big tonight. Like I said, he was big yesterday, and uh, you know, it's like I said, even if you even if you finish third, it's it's an outstanding season, but you just. You just want the Lakers and the Clippers to play each other in the first round, and that opportunity is certainly right there. And so you got to do everything you possibly can to make it happen. Okay, so Peter King's mock draft is up today. And it's funny, his opening sentence is, dart throwing mostly, a very mysterious first round. Uh, but like I said, Peter King does just one mock draft, and he's obviously as tied into the NFL as pretty much anybody. And if you start to look at the way he has the first round going, it makes a lot of sense. Like, we know it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, top two picks. Fine. Okay, we know that. Third, he has the 49ers taking Mac Jones. I, it's really the only one that that truly makes sense if people are down on Justin Fields, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. Trey Lance, I would think, is a little more of a, not that he's not a great prospect. In fact, he probably has more upside than Mac Jones. But if you're the 49ers, you're built to win now. So can you afford to burn a year trying to make Trey Lance into your guy? I mean, maybe, maybe. But Mac Jones makes the most sense. Uh, He has Kyle Pitts going to the Falcons at four. It would be great if the Cardinals could deal up for Kyle Pitts, put all these... Prognosticators over the last couple of weeks, they're like, "Oh, they're going to trade up to seven with Detroit, and they got to take Kyle Pitts." Or, "Oh, if, you know, if the Cardinals are really going to go for it, they got to make this trade up to nine and get Kyle. They're not; he's not going to be there. He's probably not going to be there after four. Either Atlanta is going to be able to trade the pick, or they're just going to take him." Uh, going through some more of this. Peter King has Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell going five six. I mean this this really is one of the most realistic ones, and partially because it, you know it's coming out three days before the draft, that we have seen with the top 10. Panay Sewell going to the Lions at seven. Justin Fields, this one, actually this one's kind of a head-scratcher. We'll get into this later on. He has Fields going to Carolina at eight. Trey Lance, nine to the Broncos. Patrick Sertain to Dallas at 10. It it seems like a, it would take a minor football miracle for Surtain to drop past the Cowboys at 10. So there's the top 10. And if it plays out like that, and then things go the way he has them going in the next five picks before the Cardinals pick. J.C. Horn's off the board at 12. Devontae Smith's off the board at 15. So your top two corners are gone. Your top three receivers are gone. And the Cardinals are probably... Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker has gone at 14 to the Vikings. So what do you do if you're the Cardinals in this situation? Because this is probably pretty close to what's going to happen. If you're picking 16... Your advantage is you don't need a quarterback, and probably five of the 15 picks in front of you are all going to be quarterbacks. If they aren't, maybe you could trade down from 16 to somebody who does need a quarterback and it's like, for some reason, Justin Fields is still there at 16.
2: So there was just another mock draft put out by Rhett Lewis of the NFL Network, Okay, and he has Devontae Smith dropping to 16 to the Cardinals. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't either. But that would be quite the combination of wide yeah. receivers.
1: And you have to take him, right? No, I,
2: I, yeah, no, no chance. You you gotta take him if he's there. I think he's a top five talent. I, I don't care that he's 175 pounds. I I think he's really good. Like, I don't, I mean, even if he you know doesn't stay healthy, I think the first four years you could you know get a lot out of him.
1: Well, yeah, and the hesitation I know that that some Cardinals fans have is just like, okay, well, Steve kime he does some things very well. He doesn't necessarily pick wide receivers well in the draft. But if you're taking the guy that just won the Heisman Trophy at 16 and it doesn't work out, we're all going to forgive you. That's not taking Andy Isabella over DK Metcalf. That is taking the first receiver to win a Heisman Trophy in in almost 30 years.
2: And what's wrong with Christian Kirk? Like I I think he's been pretty good. Yeah, he's been... For where he was taken in yeah. the draft,
1: I think he's been pretty good. He's been a good number two or three receiver on the team. Kirk, Here's the thing. This is my evaluation of Christian Kirk. Both of our voices got higher when we were talking about it. Like, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, Christian, Christian, Kirk. Yeah. Christian Kirk. Like, he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been a disappointment. But you look and you're like, oh, he could be better. So yeah, he's been fine. Uh, yeah, certainly Devontae Smith, if he's there. And, and it's funny you bring that up because there have been some mocks that are like, yeah, Waddle's going first receiver, Jamar Chase going second receiver, or, or vice versa. Smith might be there at 16. It, it, we're seeing it less and less, but there have been some. And I think if he's there, there's not even a decision to be made. Because if if he's there, it's not like he's going to be there and J.C. Horn's going to be there. certain I've already just, I've accepted he's not going to be there. But in this particular draft, Peter King has the Cardinals going Greg Newsom out of Northwestern at 16. Still going corner. He has Caleb Farley going 17th, of course, from Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's got a few guys in the top of this draft, which is uh, is interesting. But They always do. They always do, but they never really feel like a, a dominant college program. But then they always have a few guys in the top of the draft.
2: Well, as someone that grew up rooting for the team 45 minutes away, yeah. uh, they... They had a few years, you know, a lot of years actually, where they were, you know, one of the best teams in the ACC, if That's not true. the best team in the ACC, but they could just never win the big one. They were the yeah. Gonzaga of <laughs> college football.
1: Well, they have Christian Darasaw at, uh, at 19 going to the Washington football team. That's where Peter King has him going. But, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting. If they had to choose between Greg Newsom and Caleb Farley, if they decided all the main guys we want are off the board, but we still want to go corner, he has them going Newsom. I know Gambo said, and Gambo's usually pretty dialed in on this stuff, that in that scenario he thinks the Cardinals would go Farley. Farley seems like the riskier but more upside guy, so it's it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun on Thursday night. It, it absolutely is, but the way King has this, this first round going, this first 15 picks, really does not that's, you don't want it going that way if you're a Cardinals fan because it doesn't break in their favor at all. All right, we come back, get you an update on the Suns, and have your expectations of the Arizona Diamondbacks changed after the first, what, eighth of the season? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: All right, we're back, and the Suns are up by five here, midway through the fourth quarter, 103-98, so they have, it's taken them a while, but they have uh, finally, I don't want to say taken control of this game, because Derrick Rose somehow has 20 points for the uh, the Knicks in this one, and it's far from over, but at one point, the Suns were trailing 30-15 to 15 in the first quarter. Devin Booker has 32 right now, and the Suns trying to wrap up this Eastern Conference road trip with uh, a 3-2 and two record before they come home and play the Clippers, and the uh, jazz this Wednesday and Friday. Let's get into the D-backs here. It's not just the two wins yesterday, although those are pretty remarkable when you consider how they did it. Zach Gallen allowing one hit, going the distance in the first game. Against Atlanta, by the way. not This is not against some bad baseball team. And then Madison Bumgarner steps out there and goes the distance and allows no hits in the, uh, the second part of the, uh, the doubleheader. So now the D-backs, second time in less than a week, they've won two games in one day because they had that. That game, was it last Tuesday? The end of it got suspended because of snow, so they had, to, uh, they had to come back and finish that up against Cincinnati. And all of a sudden, they made it through this first portion of the schedule a lot of people identified as being you know a real gauntlet to begin the year with 17 of 22 on the road, and they're hundred. This is Madison Bumgarner yesterday after his masterful performance against Atlanta
3: good uh i just want to i want to i want to say two things then i'm going to go celebrate with the guys i want to thank these shadows in atlanta they helped me out a good beer, that's pretty awesome and i want to thank rob Manfred for making these seven inning games all right there you go
1: right. drop the mic does anybody have a more distinct voice in sports than madison bumgarner like you don't hear him talk mike tyson okay yeah tyson Tyson and like I understand there are people that give more famous and Charles Barkley, I guess, the and Shaq that give more famous John Gruden interview. Yeah, Gruden. <laughs> but uh but I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> Bum, if, look, if Bumgarner's gonna start getting if he's gonna be good here, Frank Caliendo's gonna have to do a Bumgarner impression because, I mean he lives here, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to embrace that one. Um have your expectations where were they at the start of the year, Jesse? About 80 wins. Okay. So we're we're about the same. We did our, our, our uh, predictions on ArizonaSports.com, and I think I had them at 81 or 82 wins. Um, it was contingent, though, on Madison Bumgarner, Carson Kelly, and Eduardo Escobar bouncing back, and Ketel Marte kind of bouncing back, but just in the sense he had to hit more than two home runs, which he promptly did in like the first weekend. Bumgarner, if if he's going to pitch the way he did yesterday, I think this team could contend for that second wild card. But you're going to need that. You're going to need Bumgarner looking like he did yesterday, like he did in the previous outing. You're not going to be able to do that with just Zach Gallon at the top of the rotation and then some of these other guys just kind of piecing it together. How do you feel about the pitching? It's good. It's, it's the strong point, but the hitting, eh. The hitting's weird, man, because it's like the hitting should be the strong point on this team. I mean, you should look and you should be like, okay, well, the pitching, Oh, you got Taylor Widener, but he's young. You you don't know what he's going to do over the course of a season. Luke Weaver's, he's an unknown coming into this season. He's been really good. And uh, he's been decent. Taylor Widener's been really good. Uh, Merrill Kelly really hasn't given you what you got from him the last two years. There's just, to me, there's, in a perfect situation – Zach Allen is like a legitimate number one. Madison Bumgarner could be a really strong two, but coming into the season, you didn't really know who three, four, and five were. After that, whereas at least hitting, you've got Peralta and you've got a Cattell Marte when he's healthy, and Eduardo Escobar should have should be better than he was last year, and he already is this year better than he was last year. Carson Kelly bouncing back, and like you've got. You would think the hitting would be there. It is kind of all over the place, but this team has won six of their last seven, and. I don't know. I I mean, I, I I don't, it's not like I'm going from, oh, I thought they would win 80 to 82 games to, oh, now they're going to win 95. Not that, but I mean, if you win 82 games, you're going to hang around in the race for a while. What gives me some
2: hope is the fact that you've got Tim Lucastro on the IL right now. He's, You know the top of the lineup guy, and then you've got Christian Walker, who should you know hit better than 179 when he's back. And then again, Marte is on the IL as well. So you know that's three of your top hitters right there. Now, but you got Ahmed's got to come around, a couple of you know the other guys got to come around. But you know, what gives me hope is that they're doing well right now without you know three of their better players.
1: Yeah. And and the way they've won some of these games just lately. I mean, you had the Cincinnati game Tuesday night that got suspended, so you won it Wednesday afternoon, and then you promptly won another game Wednesday night, and then you turned around and won another game Thursday morning. So in the span of like 24-ish, not even 24 hours, really, like 20 hours, you, you picked up three wins. And then you go to Atlanta, you get the loss, and then you have one postponed, and then you come out there and you end up, uh, you get the doubleheader, and you end up... F- <laughs> you end up allowing one hit over two games. So just the way they've won their last five games, three of them in the span of twenty hours, and two more in the span of like eight hours. That's I don't know. I just I believe over the course of a of hundred sixty-two game baseball season, unless you are a truly just a loaded team like the Dodgers or even the Padres or the Yankees, if you're one of the the more middle class teams. You got to have some some interesting stretches to the season where it's like oh yeah that was that was the week where we won three games in in 20 hours and then turned around and won a doubleheader and allowed one hit on Sunday. Like it's just those are wins that stand out for you a little bit. And uh, and the D-backs are getting them right now. They're they're back in this. <laughs> Suns up uh, 111 102 right now about three minutes left. Mikel Bridges just hit a three going to the timeout. So it it again it's not over, but they seem to be in control at this point. Up nine on the Knicks. They did trail this game by 15 in the first quarter. The Suns did. Let's get uh, let's get back into the NFL and I want to play this clip. We're going to play a good chunk of this interview later on in the uh, in the show, but I want to play a clip here from Kurt Warner. He was on with Bickley and Murata earlier today. And they talked about a lot. And, I, and like I said, I would encourage you to go check out the interview. I mean, Kurt Warner's always so good in these interviews and the full things on Arizona sports.com. We're, we're going to play a portion towards the end of the show tonight, but how about this clip right now? They asked him about Larry Fitzgerald, as you would expect, you know, a few, few people really know Fitz at least within the world of football better than Kurt Warner. And this is what he had to say.
0: No, I don't believe he's thinking about playing somewhere else. Um, I don't think that's in his DNA. Uh, although i you know, talked to Larry about that over the years numerous times as he would wrestle back and forth between you know, the situation. I believe he feels that they're making the right moves to be a competitive team here, and that's all he's ever wanted is to have another chance to, to play in a Super Bowl and compete for a championship, and I believe he thinks the pieces are, are, are being placed here uh, and built here to be able to do that. So I don't think that he's thinking about going somewhere else and playing. I believe it'll be Arizona or nowhere, Four fits. Um, But I am still, uh, you know, kind of surprised that we haven't heard anything up to this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost may at this point. Um, I tend to agree with that. My thought all along from the, from the end of week 17 last year was that that, that's probably it, that he was going to retire. I don't really want him to retire. I don't know necessarily what the offense looks like. I mean, you could find a place for Larry Fitzgerald, don't get me wrong. But it's going to be kind of weird now because it almost feels like they have built their roster under the assumption that he isn't coming back. If he retires, like it's going to be bittersweet, but at least he'll be retiring a Cardinal. If he comes back, obviously Cardinals fans are going to welcome him back with open arms. I think, honestly, just in, in fairness to Larry Fitzgerald and the career he's had, He should be able to play one more season and have his final home game. Like, I know he doesn't care that that everybody makes a big deal out of it, but it'd be nice if there was at least fans at his final home game. I mean, as as it stands right now, his his final game he didn't even play in. They lost to the Rams. His final home game, we couldn't have fans at. So that part of me wants him to come back. I don't think any Cardinals fan is going to fault him if he goes and plays for another team. But I, I just, I tend to believe it's either retire or come back for one final year with the Cardinals, don't you?
2: Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, the Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay thing, that it's makes the, a lot of sense to one. me. That's the only one. That makes a lot of sense to me. It, well, I think also this one's more of a stretch, but I do see the Minnesota thing. I don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities for me.
1: Yeah, I hate the Minnesota idea. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I know it's been floated out there. I mentioned this uh, like a couple weeks ago when I was on with Dave Burns. They Minnesota, if they get him, and they're already kind of doing it. They're acting like, oh, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald's coming home. He's not your guy. He's our guy. He's been playing here forever. Get another guy, Minnesota. Don't You don't get to take Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, by the way, the Knicks have cut this lead to 113 to 110. <laughs> so this is uh, – Oh, yeah, Spike's there, by the way. They just showed is him. Is he? Yeah, oh, he's, nice. he's courtside. Okay. Well, maybe he'll fire Devin Booker up. Uh, Book. <laughs> Book's having a good game. Yeah, he's close enough to talk trash. Yeah. Well, I mean, Spike Lee could be on the other side of the state. He's still close enough to talk trash. All right, we'll come back. We will get you uh, updated on how this game wraps up. Sun's up by three with about 45 seconds left in this one. And (laughs) that was a crazy shot. It looked like it was Chris Paul that just threw up there. So they're up five. That was that was about as off balance as it gets. We'll come back and update you on the on the end of this and take a, a broader look at the NFL draft outside of just the Cardinals. That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona FM Arizona's Sports Station. The
0: uh, rundown, 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station.
1: A very uh, Knicks sequence to end this game. So what it was it was the Suns were up three. Chris Paul hit a ridiculous shot from just outside the free-throw line to put him up five. Knicks had the ball promptly through the inbounds pass right out of bounds on the other side of the court. I mean, it was it <laughs> it was it was very Knicks. And so uh, I understand the Knicks are decent this year, but it was it was the Knicks that we've all come to know and love over the last decade. Just threw it right out of bounds. So the Suns come down. Chris Paul, three-pointer game over. Suns win by, it looked like, final 118-110. So the Suns wrap up this... Um, this five-game road trip through the East, they go three and two. I think he'll take that. That's a successful road trip, especially at this time of year. Team's starting to get healthy. Maybe if Kevin Durant doesn't come back yesterday, you win that one. But like I said, there's no shame in losing to the Nets, the way that team is constructed. And it's not like it would have been shameful to lose to the Knicks, but you also don't want to be putting together your first losing streak, really, of the season with, like, a dozen games left. That's that's not how you want to be doing this. So this, this is a big win tonight, I think. And it, I mean, it is. I know the game yesterday started at 1230. But still, I mean, this is back-to-back days. And Chris Paul, a lot of the narrative after the game yesterday was, you don't want to be in a position where Chris Paul has to, to be a scorer for you necessarily. That narrative is at least temporarily out the window because he had 20 tonight. Booker had 33. Mikael Bridges had 21. And the, uh, the Suns get the 118-110 win over the Knicks. So now you can go back to having the conversation of not just can you stay ahead of the Clippers, but could you maybe run down Utah for first place overall? Right now, one and a half back of Utah, half game up on the Clippers. I don't know about you, Jesse. To me, it, the bigger deal is just staying ahead of the Clippers. Like, it's cool and all if you want to be the number one seed. If you can pull that off and put something up in the arena, that's great. But to me, I just want to stay in the top two. Yeah,
2: I mean, I agree with that. But I, I, for me, it's always just stay in the top three. I know that that would be falling behind the Clippers. But for me, it's like I don't see any team ever winning a championship that is below the three seed. Like the three seed is the cutoff for me. For for whatever reason, I don't have the explanation there. But I, they, they sh- I think right now with this team that they have, they should stay ahead of the Clippers. But if they did fall back, I wouldn't be that concerned.
1: So here's their record against the... To me, tell me if there's another team you would add. But if somebody came to me today and said, like you have to put all your money on, on a team to win the NBA Finals, but you can pick eight teams. like To me, it, it, it's pretty clearly either Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Lakers, Clippers. Now, I would say Denver obviously took a major hit, not having Jamal Murray. That's still a pretty deep team. I don't necessarily think that, like, Milwaukee or maybe Utah, if Donovan Mitchell comes back at full strength, are going to do it. But either way, I think it's one of those eight for sure. And I know a lot of people don't think the Suns can do it. But I think there's at least more of a conversation to have than, oh, it's only the Lakers or the Nets, and that's it. So if you're looking at those top eight teams, and the Suns are one of them, the other seven teams in that group, Phoenix is 2-0 and against the Lakers, Jazz, Bucks and Sixers, one and two against Denver, zero oh and two against the Clippers and the Nets. Probably not going to see the Nets in the playoffs um, unless you make it all the way to the finals, which you know I, I think that should still be the goal at this point. And then in that case, you are going to see the Nets in the finals because Milwaukee, as great as Giannis is, I mean Milwaukee is a good team. It's not just Giannis, but I mean if if the Nets are healthy, that's who's coming out of the East, right? I like Philly better just because they play defense. But they do play better I don't, defense.
2: But, but, and I was about to say, but I don't like their health situation. But then I, I can't say that I like the Nets' health situation. So, I, I, honestly, I think it's a toss-up between the two of those teams. But I, I guess I lean Nets. But, they, you know, I, for a while there I was like, oh, Miami's going to figure it out. Miami's going to figure it out. And Miami's just not figured it out. So And they're, like, down at the seven seed. So, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I guess I, see, I guess I see the Nets. But... I like I like Philly better as like a gelled unit, but I don't like – I just don't know how I feel about Embiid's health. But again, I don't know how I feel about the Nets' health, but I'll go Nets, whatever.
1: <laughs> well, we just – we haven't really seen – I think it's still only seven games that Harden, Irving, and, and Durant have all played together. So <laughs> – I mean, you get the people that want to get like really extreme about it, and they're like, no, this is historic. You get those three scorers on the court, and nobody's going to be able to stop them. Maybe. I mean, I, yeah, if those three are playing, and they're playing together, then we could look back in a few years and be like, yeah, that year that the Nets had had Harden, Irving, and, and Durant, like, why did anybody think that they weren't going to win? But I will say this about this this Brooklyn team. There's at least a little... I don't want to say risk, but there's, there's, you know, you at least have to be aware of the fact that they really haven't played together much this year. So if they're all playing together in the first round of the playoffs and that's like the first time they've done it, maybe they don't fit together as perfectly as everybody assumes. I think if Brooklyn's going to do it, it's going to be this year. I just think with those personalities, specifically Kyrie and to a certain extent, even Harden, who I, I really like, obviously went to ASU. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of potential. For them to implode at some point, like that could be a very volatile situation. But I don't think that that's going to be an issue this year. So this does sort of feel like their best chance to win. And just seeing them play lately, it's those three guys. But I mean, you've still got Karis LeVert and Joe Harris, and like I said, Bruce Brown's really good defensively, and Landry Schmidt can step in and score, and Blake I, Griffin he is there <laughs> and, and stands upright. I don't, I don't know how much they need from him, but but I mean that is that is a good basketball team. But that's uh, that's not. That's not a concern for the Suns right now. So if you're looking at the teams around them, 2-0 against the Jazz, 2-0 against the Lakers, but I, I think that that has to have an asterisk because they they weren't fully healthy either time, the Lakers. But then 1-2 against the Nuggets, you could put an asterisk the other way and say, probably should have beat the Nuggets one of those times if Jamal Murray didn't like walk around the arena and not dribble and then hit the game-tying three. And also Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray now. So it is it is more wide open than I think a lot of people are giving credit to if you're not watching this closely. I think there's still a pretty good group of basketball fans that are like, yeah, what Utah's doing is cute. What the Suns are doing is cute. Uh, it's just going to be Nets Lakers, and maybe it is. Maybe it'll end up being Nets Lakers. I-, I fully grant you that that's that's probably should be the 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 most favored projection. There's other good teams this year, and it's it's really on top of the Suns being good, obviously. It's one of the main reasons I'm so much more into the NBA this year than I have been, even during the regular season, than than I think a lot of people have been in years past.
2: Yeah, isn't this awesome? Like, just, you know, you, you think about the past few years, like, it's been, like, for so long it was, oh, the, it's going to be LeBron and the Cavs versus the Warriors, and this is so boring, and, yeah. you know, but now we've got, like, eight. you mentioned eight teams. It's a, It's a whole different
1: different animal this year. It's awesome. It's 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 new. And I don't think it's it's crazy that any of those 8 teams could win, right? I mean, do you see do you would you add any teams to that group? I wouldn't add any teams.
2: If anything, I would take away Denver, but yeah. I I wouldn't, you know, it, and then, you know, if Miami can get itself together, like they were in the finals last year. They're an amazing defensive team. They just have been streaky and unhealthy this year, but um yeah, I might I might add them, but that but still even 7 teams versus Two or three, maybe having a chance is yeah. is a lot better than it was for for you know a half a decade almost. It
1: almost goes back to our college football conversation last week. Like I have no problem if at the end of the year the same team is consistently winning because they're just that good and it's like a dynasty and it's it's something impressive and historic. But when I go into the season knowing it's going to be these two or three teams, like you're saying, those Golden State Cleveland matchups, some of them were really good. One of them was kind of a dud, but some of them are really good. But the first 82 games in the first three rounds of the playoffs meant nothing because we knew we were getting that every year. Like, to your point with Miami, I don't think that team can win this year. But could they take out Philadelphia in the first round? Absolutely. Absolutely they could. So, yeah, it's going to be fun this year. All right, real quick, back to the draft. Let's play a little over-under here. It's not not a full round of over-under. But if I told you or if I asked you, Jesse... Over under four and a half quarterbacks going in the top eight picks. Now nah, let's go top ten. Would you go over or under four and a half? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over. So you think all five are gone in the top ten? Ooh, in the top ten. Ah. Uh... <sighs>
2: Mm, four under under i'll I'll change my answer so so
1: so who is it is fields the guy you're saying doesn't go or because that's the guy that seems to be dropping doesn't i I think lance
2: ends up falling for some reason i think he ends up falling because i don't know fields is just while he isn't necessarily a proven guy he's a power five guy and i just don't know if especially with what carson Wentz has shown which is not that great i think that i think that fields ends up going i think fields might go surprisingly surprisingly early for where we're at in the draft right now or in the
1: in the mock drafts but yeah I think I think he'll end up going in the top 10. I'm just I'm pulling up one randomly. I don't I want to keep referencing Peter King, so I have Mel Kiper's latest although this is almost 2 weeks old. Um but he has Lawrence Wilson Jones going in the first 3. He has Trey Lance going 6th. Uh he has he has Lance going to Atlanta at six because they made a trade in, in this. That's <laughs> It is bold if you're making trades in your mock draft. Uh, but Mel Kuiper can do it. And he has Fields going 10th. And uh, I tend to agree with you that, well, I disagree in the sense that apparently Fields is the guy that's falling, but I don't think he's going to fall far because of what you just said. He's a power five quarterback. He was one of the best players in college football this year. When the season ended, the talk was. Trevor Lawrence is going first, Fields is going second. I understand why Zach Wilson has moved up. But then to me, like, Fields goes third, except San Francisco trades up, and I I do think they're going to take Mac Jones. Okay, so Fields goes, like, fourth or fifth, and maybe he drops to, like, eighth or ninth. If he's there when Denver's picking ninth, how does Denver not be, like, jackpot? We just got Justin Fields, and we weren't even that bad last year. So I I just, I I still, I have to think all five of these guys are gone in the top ten. Even if it gets to a point where it's like Fields is there at eight and Carolina, who Peter King has uh, taking Fields, and Carolina's like, yeah, we just traded for Sam Darnold. We've got, you know, we've we've, we feel like we got the quarterback situation sewn up. Then some team will trade up and get him. So I'm I'm going to go with all five quarterbacks going certainly before the Cardinals pick at sixteen. But I'll go with all of them going in the, uh, in the top ten. All right, that's hour number one of the show. We'll come back. Hour number two starts with the reload. Next, it's the Rundown. Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two
1: of the show live from the auction community studio luke lipinski here jesse morrison behind the glass and we have a final from new york in case you missed it suns rallying to knock off the knicks 118 to 110 so they snap their modest two-game losing streak and they are now 43 and 18 pretty good record uh, one and a half back of utah for the top spot in the western conference really the entire nba And now a half game up on the Clippers. So depending how important you feel the top of the Western Conference, or at least staying in the top two is, or maybe top three, that's going to be put to the test this week because they return home now. They get the Clippers on Wednesday night, a team they have not yet beat this season, and they get Utah on Friday. And it doesn't sound like Donovan Mitchell will be back in time for that game uh, Friday against the Sun. That's the final meeting between those two teams during the regular season. Last I heard, which was yesterday, uh, Utah was saying that they expected him to be out at least another week. And look, it makes sense if you're the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell's your meal ticket if you think you can win a title. So if you have to drop from one to two during the regular season to make sure he's fully healthy when the, the playoffs roll around in mid-May, you do it. But if you're the Suns, Utah is a much, much more easily – Uh, beatable team if they don't have donovan mitchell they're not bad they're not a pushover they're still better than the team you just had to rally to beat tonight in new york but that's uh that's a much more winnable game on friday than the first two were against utah and the suns won both those the real tough one the real test is wednesday at home against the clippers because the suns just they have not been able to figure the clippers out and that that to me is is the bigger deal I don't really care if you get one or two, just don't get three because I don't want anything to do with the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs if I can help it and so there's there's a lot on the line here this week for the Suns and then after that you can have the conversation I mean if you go out there, if you take care of business against the Clippers especially, uh but certainly if you can do it against Utah too, like then you got Oklahoma City and Cleveland coming up Sunday Tuesday. I'm fine pulling back guys' minutes in those games. I really am. I keep referencing this, but you've got DeAndre Ayton, Mikkel Bridges, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. They've missed a combined five games all season. Whereas a team like the Clippers, I mean, just just Paul George and Kawhi Leonard alone have missed well over 30. So it's like some of that's because of injury, but are the Clippers going to be more rested and ready to go when the playoffs start? I don't want that. It's a fine line to walk here if you're Monty Williams. Obviously, the 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 best way to do it is to go out there and win these games this week. But when you're playing teams like Oklahoma City and Cleveland down the stretch here, those are really their only like two easy games on paper. Just be up by so much in the third quarter that you can play your bench. The Suns' bench isn't bad. And honestly, there's probably something to be said for getting that bench going before the playoffs too because you're going to need them as well. I mean, your, your bench tends to tighten up a little bit in the playoffs, but you want your bench your bench feeling good about itself as well. But I mean, the bigger thing is I don't want Chris Paul out there playing 38, 40 minutes every night when it's just about playoff positioning. Tonight he played 34 against the Knicks. Uh, Booker played 41, eight and 35 bridges, 41. I'm, I'm not so worried about how much eight and bridges play. Only been in the league a couple years and Booker's young too, but you're going to put so much on Booker's shoulders when the playoffs start that like, I'd be fine dialing his minutes back a little bit too. They needed all of them tonight. Cause this game, was close with a minute to go. So I mean, you're still in. You're still in. Got to win these games mode. But like, just you know, you start to look forward and you say, "What do you got? Eleven games left. If you're the Suns, your two most important games are coming up this week, and then you got nine other games. Where I'm like, you're in the playoffs. Figure out a, a, a smart way to do this. Don't mess up the rhythm you've built for 61 games by just resting guys and like just sitting out games. I don't. I don't want to do that. And maybe go ahead and, and make sure everybody's good to go in that game May 9th against the Lakers to push them further down. But uh, other than that, I mean, you have to shift your, your, your focus to the playoffs here after, I would say, this Friday against Utah. Baseball D-backs off tonight. Back home tomorrow, finally, to take on the San Diego Padres' quick two-game series at Chase Field. And then four against Colorado heading into the weekend where do you come out on the Padres, Jesse? As far as like legitimate can contend with the the Dodgers for the division crown or just dangerous team in the playoffs?
2: Well, I did. I was a guest on another podcast for another. Just I was just a guest on a podcast, and I said uh, Padres are going to the World Series. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yes. I, I like them a
1: lot. What do you like about them more than the Dodgers? Uh, I, trust I like me, the I, lineup. A little I would bit love bit. to be. I convinced. like the
2: lineup just a little bit better for the Padres. I think. Tatis and Machado and Hosmer just that that combination there is just
1: lethal it is it's really a filthy lineup and uh yeah I mean Hosmer's like sort of the had all that hype when he first broke into the league and then he was just kind of okay but now that he's on this team he's he's a lot he's better than a okay good
2: hitter like he's gonna hit you 300 He's gonna field well, but yeah, he but he's a guy that I, I like just because of the fact that he just makes contact and you know go, he, he's the cleanup guy. So going after Tatis and Machado, like having him there to just kind of get on base and bring those guys in, I think is I think their, their their lineup is insane. And then combine that with their pitching staff. But You know, just the Dodgers like Bellinger's hurt, uh, Turner. He's been really good, but he's getting up there. Um, Seeger is good, but. I don't think he's a he's a Machado or a Tatis. So, yeah, I think I, that's why I like their lineup a little bit better.
1: Well, big test for the D-backs then coming up here these uh, next two days against the Padres, finally getting to play some games uh, at Chase Field. This was Madison Bumgarner yesterday after his seven-inning no-hitter that doesn't count as a no-hitter even though he threw a no-hitter.
3: Uh, it feels good. Uh, I just want to I I say two things, then I'm going to go celebrate with the guys. I want to thank these shadows in Atlanta. They helped me out a good bit. That's pretty awesome, and I want to thank Rob Manford for making these seven-inning games. All right, here we go. Right. Drop the mic. I
1: really just wanted to play any, I'll take any chance to play any Madison Bumgarner audio because it sounds like he like rode a horse up to the interview and then rode away on a horse after the interview. In 1859. Yeah, exactly. He was prospecting for gold and then took some time to throw a seven-inning no-hitter. Uh, one more from the D-backs. Tori Lovello asked after the game yesterday, "When's the last time you felt this good about your team?"
4: Yeah, you know, I, I'm the eternal optimist. I always feel like we're gonna on our bad days turn the corner and make something special happen tomorrow. Um, you know, put the focus on us and put the focus on our preparation and what we can control. Um, you know, but I I am really enjoying the energy that this team is playing with, uh, the energy that they're showing for one another, the excitement that they have. Uh, for the good times and then the information that they're sharing through the grinding times um you know we're we're gonna have a lot of days before this season's over um but i feel very good about where this team's heading we're gonna we're flying home we're coming home we're we're proud of what we did but i want everybody to enjoy the plane ride home i want everybody to uh enjoy their off day tomorrow but we we got to get back after it we we got to we got to get ready for a Tuesday night game um, against the Padres, uh, and we got to continue making statements.
1: Yeah, it would be great. It would be absolutely great to have the D-backs hang around in the playoff race if they could do that. You know, and, and it's 22 games out of 162. they got a lot of work to do, and they're in the toughest division, probably in the most top-heavy division in all of sports, really. But that doesn't mean you can't sneak in as the number 2 wild card. It doesn't mean you can't hang around in that race for a while. And, and that would be great because – I mean, think about it. The Suns are going to the playoffs. The Cardinals (laughs) better go to the playoffs this year. If the Diamondbacks can hang around, that's another team. You know, for so long in the Valley, we were just talking about teams like, well, I hope they have fun tonight. And now you have teams that are like contending for playoff spots or in the playoffs. And we got a hockey team that is in a tough spot right now because the Coyotes were a point up on St. Louis heading into tonight. And the Coyotes are going to play here in about a half hour. Uh, in San Jose, a team that if they if the Coyotes win tonight, they can pretty much take San Jose, not mathematically out of it, but really put San Jose uh, in the rearview mirror in terms of the race. The problem is, St. Louis is the team they have to stay ahead of, and St. Louis won tonight, and they beat the maybe the best team in hockey to do it. They beat them 4-1. Now, they beat Colorado to do it. Colorado, I would say, is the best team. Colorado's missing one of their two best players right now, dealing with uh, I think he's in contact tracing. And they've had a few other guys out. So however you want to like parse that win for St. Louis, it doesn't really matter because they jumped the point ahead of the Coyotes and they've got a couple games in hand on the Coyotes. So Arizona certainly in the race, one point back of St. Louis. The Coyotes have eight games to go. St. Louis has 10 to go. They're very much in it, but they just have no margin for error. Eight games left, four of them against San Jose, who they've owned this year. Two more against LA, who they certainly owned on Saturday two against Vegas who's in first place in the entire NHL so that's not great but uh but they've played Vegas closely this year so keep an eye on that certainly uh as well
0: it's the rundown 98.7 FM Arizona's sports station
1: welcome back to the show Luke Lipinski here with you as we get closer to the draft on specifically the first round on Thursday the one team, you know, obviously we're all most caught up with what the Cardinals are going to do at 16, or are they going to trade down, or might even trade up? Who knows? Um, you know, Steve Kym has made it sound like they're more likely to trade down than up, but either way, certainly caught up in what the Cardinals are doing. But the other one that that you can't help but have your attention grabbed by is the 49ers because they've essentially said to Jimmy Garoppolo, "Yeah, we might need you a little bit this year because we feel like we're a Super Bowl contender." But we don't really think you can get us there, so can you just kind of hang around and pretend that we're not doing everything we can within our power to find any quarterback that isn't you? Because that's basically what it looks like with the 49ers, right? Trading up to that third pick, depending who you listen to, they don't necessarily know for sure who they're going to take with that third pick. They just want a quarterback, which it's not like, again, it's not like they moved up to number one and we're like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, okay, he's our guy. Trading up to three, if they really don't know who they're going to get, and I think they do, but if they really don't know for sure who they want yet, isn't that just like an extra slap in the face to Jimmy Garoppolo? This is Mel Kuyper on Get Up talking about the different options the 49ers have with that third pick now.
4: Hard for me, Granny, because you have ratings and you have mock drafts, and you got to put the both separately. So if you go from a rating standpoint, for me it's Justin Fields. It's pretty obvious that's the pick, but that's not going to be the pick. You heard from the get-go, from the intel you have talking to teams, that it's going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. That's the decision, not Justin Fields. So I gave it like 70% Jones, 20% Lance, 10% Fields. And I would probably maintain that. Uh, I think when you go from 12 to 3, you better know who you want. Uh, If it's two guys and you have to figure it out, like Diana said, fine. Great. I agree with that. No problem. So uh, I'm kind of all over the place here, Grinny, because I would take Justin Fields. It would be easy for me. But you knew from the get-go it was going to be Jones probably with Lance a possibility.
1: It is remarkable how Justin Fields has fallen in this draft. It's not like he's done anything wrong since the college football season ended. But we see this every year with with, uh, especially quarterbacks. It's usually usually one. I mean, we see it with a few players, but a lot of times if it's not a quarterback, it feels like that player has done something or had like a terrible pro day or whatever. But I still think five quarterbacks are going before the Cardinals pick at 16, which is a great thing if you're the Cardinals, obviously, because it's moving other pieces that you actually need closer to you. This is Diana Rossini. Talking about uh, what she thinks the Forty ers might be doing at quarterback, and you know, like Mel Kiper sort of alluded to right there, I think it's Mac Jones. I, I just that's it, the only logical move, really. You're going up there, you're getting a guy that you feel is more game ready to step in in Week One if he has to, than uh, than probably Trey Lance is. I mean, if it's really not going to be Justin Fields, doesn't Mac Jones make more sense than Trey Lance? But here's Diana Rossini.
3: All right, so the board set: John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan. They know exactly who they're going for. In fact, I was told it's never really wavered, but they're not telling the staff. They're not sharing it with everyone in the organization. They're kind of just keeping it a little hush hush, but you got to assume I'm sure Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, knows. You know, Jed York, the owner, knows. But a very small group of guys are aware of what they're going to be doing. And Key, I, I keep hearing, I keep going through my notes and it just it it all makes sense that that mac jones is their guy knowing how much kyle appreciates a quarterback who's strong in the pocket he he wants an accurate quarterback and and, you know i'm always going to point to the intellect of mac jones and that goes back to his pro day when i was just talking to some scouts after it and they said forget don't even worry about watching him on film if you really want to understand why kyle probably loves kid. Yeah,
1: look, that's the only thing that makes sense, right? If we, if you just think about it logically for a second, the 49ers aren't going to give up what they gave up to move up to the third pick in the draft if they don't clearly have a quarterback in mind. One very specific, not, well, it's a good draft class and we'll take whoever's there. No, 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 <laughs> nobody's buying that. So what Diana Rossini just said right there, where the 49ers, the people that need to know within the organization know, and they're just hiding it from everybody, that's fine. I don't really know why you're hiding it from everybody because the first two picks are going to be Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, but if you want to hide it from everybody, just in case, you know, I, maybe you something changes on draft night or whatever. I mean, it's possible. Maybe the NFL's like, hey, we don't need everybody knowing all of the top five picks. So even if you know who you're taking at three, how about you keep that to yourself for a few days? Uh, it, it just it makes sense that it's that it would be Mac Jones, not necessarily the guy that every team would take in that position, right? If you are the if you're the the next team up, you're picking third, you need a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are off the board, Mac Jones might not be the biggest upside guy. He's not necessarily the personification of where the quarterback position is heading in twenty twenty one. But as you just heard her say right there, sure seems like a guy that would fit what Kyle Shanahan is looking for. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan runs the team. Obviously, took him to the Super Bowl two years ago. So as much as I want the 49ers to botch this, as much as I love the idea that they were just like, well, anybody but Garoppolo, just give it one of these rookies is fine. Just one of the five. As much as that would be great for the Cardinals, if that's how the 49ers are running their team, that's not how the 49ers are running their team. They know who they want. Now, there's certainly some risk with any of these guys. Maybe not Trevor Lawrence but any of the other four guys, you have a team in San Francisco that, again, was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Certainly has the pieces to get back this year. Tough division. I mean, obviously nothing is, is a given, and, and you're also in a conference with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I, I understand that. But you are a team that's built to win now. And if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know I'm not real high on Jimmy Garoppolo. I've never been. I don't think he's bad, though, either. I mean, my my, my stance on Jimmy Garoppolo has always been just kind of like, yeah, he's about league average, right? You put him on a good team, and he, look, he goes to the Super Bowl with the 49ers two years ago. He wasn't really that good that year. He was good against the Cardinals a couple times. But other than that, he just kind of was there, but he's not bad either. And so if you are a team in a position to potentially make another run back to the Super Bowl, in the toughest division in football, and you actively decide to go away from your, your, let's just say, league average starting quarterback and turn it over to a rookie, that is a risk. That is absolutely a risk. It's the 49ers. It may very well pay off for them big picture. Maybe it even works out this year. But right now on April 26th, that's a risk. And on draft night, that's a risk. It's going to be a risk until whoever they take, whether it's Mac Jones or somebody else, until that guy starts making a positive impact on their team on Sundays. And the Jimmy Garoppolo angle to this is fascinating because he's still there. And they claim they want him to be the guy this year. But if you're Jimmy G, aren't you kind of looking around and being like, ah, they don't want me here. I don't want to be here. And Kyle Shanahan, his uh, his comments today, his press conference Adam Schefter tweeted out a couple of quotes. One is, quote, we could have sat there at 12 and waited which one came to us if one did, but we made a decision that we felt we needed to get a starting quarterback. We wanted to dictate it. We'll get the one that we feel is best for us, unquote. That's the first quote, but it's not the only one. But, I mean, look, if you feel like you need to go up there and get a quarterback, do it. That's absolutely the way to do it. Don't sit there and hope one falls to you at 12. We've seen that not work here, and it's not the only place it hasn't worked. But again, when you're when you're at a press conference on a couple days before the draft and you're saying, yeah, we need to get a starting quarterback and you have a starting quarterback, that's going to get back to him. So Shanahan was asked if he could guarantee that Garoppolo would be on the 49ers roster Sunday. <laughs> this is I, I don't know where this quote came from. Shanahan said, quote, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, unquote. I mean, that took a dark turn we're just asking if if, uh, if Jimmy Garoppolo is still going to be on the 49ers on Sunday. We don't we don't need everything to get to that dark Kyle, but uh but thanks anyway. The 49ers are uh they are they are a weird team in this draft. They're absolutely the team really controlling the draft right now. And if you're the Cardinals, man, you're just hoping they botch this. Yeah, real quick, this, uh, this got lost in the shuffle, but I did want to play this clip. There's, a, there's a, a potentially great rivalry budding in the NL West between the Padres and the Dodgers. And as much as I don't really like the Dodgers, they, have, they just won the World Series last year. The Padres, who I would much prefer to the Dodgers, uh, mainly just because of their stadium and their, it's amazing proximity to the, uh, the, the, the beach there in San Diego. But um, they really haven't won anything, and they're not backing down from the Dodgers at all. Fernando Tatis, Trevor Bauer, Tatis took him deep twice on Saturday. Dodgers still won. He also kind of showed up, Trevor Bauer, but Trevor Bauer with a different take, and honestly, I think kind of a refreshing take from the pitching position.
2: I want to say something about that because I think it's important. Um, You know, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job, and then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it, Um, and I I like it. I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and... React by throwing at people, or you know, getting upset and hitting people, or whatever. I think uh, I think it's pretty soft. Um, if you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it. You know, he, it's hard to hit in the big leagues. Uh, so I'm all for it, and I think it's it's important that you know the game moves in that direction, and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success
3: on the field.
1: Yeah, I know Trevor Bauer rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and especially traditionalists uh, that are fans of the sport of baseball. I know that a lot of them don't love Trevor Bauer, and I'm not a huge fan just because he's on the Dodgers, but as a as a person, I mean, he's outspoken. I like that he's different. I like people that are unique, and I like that take. You serve up a home run, the guy gets to celebrate. You don't get to throw at him and cry next inning. Get him out. All right, that is going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Jesse Morrison behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.